Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Hello, everyone. On today's broadcast, we get to sit in on a regular feature of a Tim Jennings seminar, and that's the question and answer session that takes place at the conclusion of his meetings. We've been enjoying his The Power of Love series, and now a Q&A session. Dr. Jennings will read the question and then, with the help of the Holy Spirit, do his best to answer it. The first question is probably a common one on the mind of many of us. Why did God create Lucifer? Here we go. In creating him, he had to know what he was creating, all the sin and all the sorrow, etc., etc., etc. The question of God is not about Lucifer. The question of God is about God. God is either a God of love or he's a big faker. If he's a God of love, he gives us real freedom, real freedom. If he's a faker, he uses his omniscience and his manipulative powers to give us an environment where he's constantly deleting people from existence and wiping our memories and knowledge or never creating them in the first place. So we all have the pretext where it looks like we're really free, but we're not really free because anybody who has a thought outside of his permission, he either wipes out or never creates. Therefore, he's not really a God of love. He's a manipulator. So yes, God foreknew. But God really is love. And He did not ordain that sin should exist, but He foresaw it and had measures in place to deal with it and heal it and eliminate it. Why would God create the tree of knowledge of good and evil if He knew Adam and Eve would fall? And why did God not want them to understand good and evil? So God can create sinless beings, Gabriel, Adam and Eve in Eden, sinless beings. God cannot create mature character. Mature character is developed by the sentient choices of the being. So Adam and Eve were created sinless, but they were not created mature in the sense that they had thought through the issues, weighed them out, and with their free will made a decision on which version of reality that they were going to solidify into in their practices, methods, and character. The tree was placed there for their development in the context of a universe in which Lucifer had already rebelled. Had they been made in the linear time stream before Lucifer's rebellion, I don't believe there would have been a tree there. The tree was only there because of the context of a war already raging over God's character and God's plan for the human race and their opportunity for them to develop themselves and solidify themselves in righteousness. And so it was for their development. It was also secondarily for their protection. Lucifer or Satan could only approach them at the tree. Just imagine that if you had no sinful nature, there was no corruption, there was no disease, there was no death, there was no suffering, there was no pain, you had no carnal nature to plague you, and there was only one tree on the whole planet you could be tempted. All the planet Earth you could travel free of temptation. How wonderful would that be? And that was Eden prior to their fall.
What are the dangers of the message God is in control when people express it to those who are hurting as a means of consolation? Uh, This is a great question, and it really goes back to God is in control. What's the first question you ask? What law lens? If you use the human law lens, imperialism, God is an authoritarian dictator, and if something happens, it's because God's in control. Your daughter was molested, God's in control. Your child was killed in a car wreck, God was in control. What sin did they have in their life that God chose to let them die in that car wreck and not send an angel to stop it? God's in control. It's God's will this happened. You know where that goes. That's imperialism. That's a dictator view of God. Design law, God is in control, absolutely of what God controls. God is in control of what God controls. And God controls himself and sustains and governs or controls all of his design laws. Gravity is a constant, not because gravity created itself or sustains itself, but because God is constantly sustaining the laws of gravity in our universe. Everybody get that? Now take every other design law. They're sustained and controlled by God. He created them, built them, and sustains them, including, big one, law of liberty. God controls and sustains the law of liberty. And thus, God is in control of his universe in that he is sustaining all of his laws. But he is not in control of the... choices that sinners or even sinless beings make. They would be puppets or robots if he controlled the choices. Everybody with me? This is a serious harm that goes to God's kingdom when good, well-meaning people who are still stuck in imperialism start stating these platitudes in a tragic circumstance as God is in control and making it appear as if God was behind it. Oh, no. He was not behind it at all, and he grieves, and he's looking forward to the day that he eliminates all deviations from his design so we can be restored to eternal life and wellness. If all sin is composed of selfishness, could all imposed laws be then categorized as selfish? No, absolutely not. Parents will impose a rule for bedtime or a rule for brushing your teeth after meals. Those rules are based on design laws of sleep physiology, hygiene for your teeth, and second law of thermodynamics, and things decay if you're not putting energy in. Those are the design laws that the child can't understand, but the parents imposes these rules, and they're not doing it because the parent is selfish. They're doing it because the parent is loving, and these rules are structures to help the child until the child can grow up. This is actually why the Ten Commandments was given. Galatians tells us that the law was added. It was added as our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. It was added to diagnose and reveal the sickness in our heart, to have a hedge of protection, to protect us in our ignorance from damaging ourselves further. For instance, if a childlike, immature Christian doesn't commit adultery for this reason, well, if if I do, God will punish me. They're still protected from a lot of damage that comes from committing adultery if they don't do it, right? Okay, They may not have a mature understanding of the real damage that comes to their character, their conscience, their relationships, their body, if they get STDs and other things, but, but they're still protected. So the law was there as a schoolmaster and a hedge of protection, like the parents' rules. So there's a righteous use of imposing laws or rules. So they're not all selfish, no. Is the opposite of love hate, or is it actually fear? And that's a really great question because it's not hate. People will hate often those they love the most. (laughs) 
or those that have the greatest, not, not in the godly, other-centered, altruistic love, but, the, but the, the love that's been spurned and hurt, or their care, their concern. But you're close on the actual thing of fear because I think the opposite of love is selfishness. And selfishness is driven by fear. Fear and a desire to protect self will cause us to hurt others in order to protect self, and I think that's really the opposite of love. How would you start a dialogue when confronting other believers that have an erroneous concept of God's methods and characters? I usually start out just almost any topic at all. How do you understand God's law? I mean, that's the starting point. It all comes back to if you understand law functioning like human law, it really doesn't matter where you go from there. They're in a pagan world. Understand, paganism is based on imperial law. It's Satan's lie about God from the beginning. That God's a dictator, the source of pain, suffering, death. He makes up rules arbitrarily. If you don't obey them, he'll punish you for them. You need to be protected from him. This is the pagan world. You can gussy it up with Christian language, but it's still paganism. And so if, if you want to have a discussion about Christianity, you've got to come over and worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that in them is. You have to worship a designer, the creator, the builder of reality, and understand how his laws work. And so I always start with really, how do you understand God's law? Can you discuss design law versus imposed law and how it relates to Romans 13? Romans 13 is obeying the, the ruling authorities. And if you don't obey the ruling authorities, you're rebelling against God's will. Yes, because God allows governments to come into place to restrain human evil. That's what he allows it for. Because if there is no human governments to restrain human evil, what does a group look like if there's no human government going on? Anarchy. That's exactly right. It's absolute anarchy. It is the wild, wild west. It's he who has the strongest, fastest gun or weapons or whatever, just abusing, exploiting, raping, pillaging, destroying at whim. Okay? And so God allows the governments to put a cap or a limitation or restraint on the corrupt human heart to create atmospheres where the gospel message can go forward. In no way was God endorsing through Romans 13 the idea that this is how his government works. It's not. Was Nebuchadnezzar becoming dumb and living as an animal? Uh, was God disciplining him or temporarily restricting his freedoms or was it a natural consequence? No, in the story of Nebuchadnezzar, um, you actually have a backstory being told to us by Daniel that there were heavenly watchers involved in this uh, situation. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a heart that was able to be reached and repented of if he was brought discipline that brought him to his humility. And so you consider this a therapeutic intervention. God intervened to bring in discipline, not in punishment, to bring Nebuchadnezzar to repentance. And he did. And I expect to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. So I think that's a beautiful example of God using power not to coerce, but to discipline as a loving parent would. Believing that God doesn't use force, why does the Bible use language so often, particularly in the Old Testament, that can be so interpreted that way? Okay, did I say God doesn't use force? This is a great question because it does several things. One, it shows how I say something gets heard as something else. What I said is God doesn't compel consciences doesn't compel people. He can't get love by the use of force. He doesn't violate liberty or autonomy. But he does, he does use power and force in several places and threatens. I love this way to understand God's you know, loud yelling language in the Old Testament and how it looks like he says the pain and sufferings come from him. I want you to imagine you have a child. Your child is, uh, you've given instructions. You set a rule. Don't play in the street. Your child's three, four, five, six years of age. And your child might be a little unruly. And your child plays in the street anyway. If you love your child and your child has played in the street, didn't get hit, but you know there's danger, 
What will you do to your child if your child disobeys you and keeps going out in the street? Smack his bottom, somebody said. And would that be an infliction of punishment or an act of loving discipline? Okay, but in the child's mind now. In the child's mind. If we talk to the child and say, hey, what's wrong with playing in the street? What's the child going to say? I'm going to get punished. From who? From mom and dad. And so in the child's mind, where does the actual punishment for playing in the street come from in the child's mind? From mom and dad. You have a larger understanding of reality. In your mind, in your knowledge of reality, if the child plays in the street and gets hit by a car, is there a punishment? From where does it come? From the laws of physics. Violation of those laws, those design laws. Now, the child, are they able to understand that process? So do you love them enough to step between them and reality and for a period of time allow the child to falsely consider and put on your shoulders the idea that you are the source of inflicted pain and suffering for disobedience? Do you allow them to view you that way for a while until they can grow up and then one day they look back and go, whoa, mom, you were never the one I needed to fear. Whoa, you loved me so much. You were willing to be viewed as the source of pain and suffering in order to protect me from a car. Wow, I love you so much. That's God of the Old Testament. We've been listening to a Q&A session at the end of Dr. Jennings' The Power of Love Seminar. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. And by the way, Come and Reason Ministries has a website, comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many resources to help you on your journey of discovery as you look for and find the beautiful character of God all around us in nature and in both testaments of the Bible, comeandreason.com. Until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Together.